Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning reading your words, words of truth. Speak to us now, Lord, all of us. Baptize us with your word. Cleanse us from within and make us new. Use me as your vessel this morning, O God. Holy Spirit, come. Your people are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you are enjoying this beautiful day and this beautiful Advent season, regardless of what is taking place, because we remember the coming of the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God. You know, recently I heard a beautiful voice, just a beautiful voice that pierced my ears and melted my heart. That voice was my son, Sebastian. He's at the stage now where his voice is just so sweet, like honey, and I can't get enough of it. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. If you're an aunt or an uncle, you too know what I'm talking about. It is so pleasant to hear this voice because it's so innocent. It's so pure. That childlike voice is honest. It is a glimpse of the beauty of God. Following that beautiful voice, is often these days an annoying question. Why? It's almost like everything I do or say, Sebastian will follow up with the question, why? I'm going to church. Why? I have a meeting with someone. Why? Why does he keep asking me that? <laughs> if he was older, I would have said that, but poor kid. I... I say this to you because today's reading, in today's passage, as I was preparing for this all week, there was a reoccurring thought, a reoccurring question for me that kept arising day after day as I meditated on this word. And that was the question, why? Why was John the Baptist rejoicing? greatly rejoicing. You see, he says in verse 29, the friend of the bridegroom, he being the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, forgive me, who stands and hears him, the groom, that is Jesus, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Another word for complete here is perfect. So I kept asking the question, why? Why is his joy now complete? Why? Jesus hasn't done anything for him. He hasn't blessed him in any way. He hasn't provided anything to him. I mean, the man has been out there in the desert for we don't know how long, and he's been drinking, eating 
locusts and eating wild honey, and he has people coming, but Jesus hasn't done anything special for him. He hasn't removed anything from his life, maybe a thorn in the flesh like the Apostle Paul speaks of. Why is this man so joyful? I stopped and I kept asking me that, that question. And he, it's not like Jesus performed any healings for others, right? Up to this point in the Gospel of St. John, all Jesus has done miraculously, he's turned water into wine at the wedding, wedding at Cana. And he's gone into the temple and he's cleared the tables because they've made a mockery of the Lord's house. But outside of that, and a conversation with Nicodemus, which none of these three possibly John even heard of, why is this man so joyful? To the point where it's complete. It's almost as if he's saying, my life now is fulfilled. Anything that happens for me beyond this point doesn't matter. My joy is complete. This is the reason why I've been alive. And suddenly, I'm full. They can even take my life. It sounds very similar to Simeon when Jesus was first born. When Simeon was in the temple and Jesus' earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, brought him to be dedicated. And Simeon at that moment says, My goodness, my eyes have seen salvation a light to the Gentiles, and glory for the people of Israel. My life now is fulfilled. I can now die in peace. The Lord fulfilled his prophetic word to me. And he blessed God. Here, John the Baptist is essentially saying the same thing. That's his posture. That's his perspective. Again, Jesus has done nothing for him. He hasn't added. He hasn't removed. Why could someone be so joyful? Maybe it's the metaphor of a wedding. He uses the language of a bride and a bridegroom. This, now as we know, we, we in the world of theology used a mystical union, meaning the bride being the church and the bridegroom being Jesus. And now they are one. He has come. There's a marriage. Is that why he is so happy? Is that why he is so full of joy? Is it because of that? I mean, possibly. I think of my own wedding. Weddings are always joyful, aren't they? It's a time of celebration. Everybody loves a wedding. I remember I was full of joy. My wife was. My family was. All our friends were. So that's a possibility. Is that what John is so joyful about? At first, I thought it might be there. But as I kept asking the Lord to reveal to me on this occasion what he means... 
he brought something else up to me. He said, go back to the verse and concentrate. Look closely at what John is joyful about. It says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at his voice. Jesus hasn't done anything but speak. That's it. In John's life. In John's life. John actually baptized Jesus. If anybody has served anyone, it's been John serving Jesus. Yet he is rejoicing. Now, pause for a moment and think about that. My life could not get any better, John is saying, than just hearing the voice of Christ. How many of us can say that this morning? How many of us can say our life, our joy, one and the same, life and joy, is complete? Solely, solely on the voice of Jesus. Nothing's added in our life. We don't need to be blessed financially. We don't have to travel the world. We didn't have to get the promotion. We didn't have the family we thought we were going to have. God hasn't removed something from our life. How many of us this morning are completely content with simply knowing and hearing the voice of Christ? That is the question, isn't it? His voice. Is it enough? It clearly was for this prophetic man, John the Baptist. And his death looms not far. St. John tells us in parentheses, he hasn't gone to prison yet. And that's just foreshadowing what is to come. And John knew the business he was in. I think John knew his prophetic call. He knows how the prophets were treated in the past. And he knew he was a man himself of integrity. And he would stand up to anybody and preach repentance and to the most powerful man on the land, eventually, the king or the puppet king, Herod, and call him out for that illegitimate marriage. But he didn't care. He had joy. And no one, nothing can rob him from that joy. Because John didn't place his joy on things. And John didn't place his joy on people. Or even a person, per se. John placed his joy in God 
himself. That's it. Period. Nothing more, nothing less. Now you might say, Father Aster, I haven't heard the voice. I'm 2,000 years removed from Jesus speaking on earth. I don't know what that sound, that his voice sounds like. Well, have we not read the Gospels? None of us have an excuse, do we? The Gospels record the teachings of Christ. His words come to life. But I believe there's also one more aspect to John's voice, joy. Now he's heard from his disciples in verse 26. He is baptizing and all are going to him. All the people are going to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world. It's happening just as John believed. It's actually happening right before his eyes, and he's hearing it again. He's hearing it from his disciples. And I imagine they too who went to him had great joy when Jesus spoke. What is the source of our joy, my dear brothers and sisters? What is the source of our joy? Can you imagine? Picture this. Jesus laying his hands on you I want you to please imagine this. The Jesus that you know or are seeking to know this morning. Imagine there you are by the river and Jesus comes and he lays his hands on you. You're looking at his eyes. You're hearing his voice. And you're feeling his hands. Again, some might say, well, I can't see his eyes this morning. I can't hear his voice this morning. I can't feel his hands this morning. What about baptism? You see, the Lord knew in advance that only a few would actually physically see, hear, and feel Jesus. Yet he sent the Holy Spirit down for us. That is fully sufficient because John baptized with water. Jesus comes to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. So we too can experience that life-changing ex moment that all those people were able to experience 2,000 years ago. We're not left out in the dark. 
We can receive the same experience that those few, oh, that fortunate few did 2,000 years ago. But we get nothing less than that. And that should be our joy. Our joy should be in Christ and Christ alone. In Christ alone. That should be the source of our joy. Because whatever the world throws at us, whatever the world tempts us with, it is always temporal. It doesn't penetrate the heart like Jesus can. That's what makes him so unique. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning and he is the last. He is the author and perfecter of our faith and life. What is the source of our joy? I remember when I was a kid, 1995, December 25th, woke up, and there it was. As I opened up my present, it was a football. I was a big 49ers fan at the age of 13, and just in a month after that, they won their Super Bowl. Steve Young threw six touchdowns, I believe. And I love that ball. And I carry that ball everywhere I went. And that morning, it gave me a lot of joy. But the fact is, since then, there's been a lot of moments in my life where I have been hurting. I don't go to that ball. I don't know where that ball is. That ball came. It had its purpose and it went. You might have something as well that you seek for joy or has given you moments of joy. But what, what sustains that joy? There is only one who can do that. And that is Jesus. That's who I go to when I'm feeling down. I go to him. No one else can. I can't myself. I can't muster it. I can hide, roll into a little ball and hide under my bed or something as a kid or even an adult and cry. Because it feels like nobody, and it's true, nobody can, can provide me the joy that I want, that I need. But Christ alone, he has yet to fail me in delivering joy. Every time I fix my eyes upon him, and you too, I know it. Every time you have fixed your eyes on him, he has provided you joy. Don't look during this Christmas season, even with a pandemic, of things, of commercial, of markets, of toys, gadgets, even people. We will all disappoint one another. I will disappoint you, you will disappoint me, period. The enemy wants to rob us from joy, and he wants us to fix our eyes on things that will leave us short, leave us hungry, leave us hurting, leave us empty. Anything but him is Jesus enough. That's the ultimate question. 
Is Jesus enough for us? In a land that's so prosperous, it's very easy to keep our eyes on the wrong things. The purification comes from him, not John. He cleanses us and gives us joy. Last word. If you're angry at God this morning, and some might be, some of us this morning might be angry at God. Some of us might be angry at God in the near future. So this applies to all of us. I say, stop and look at the sun. Look at God's son, Jesus Christ. When people are angry at me, if my son is in the room, I think their hearts are a little bit more compassionate and merciful. Now, I'm not God. God is a loving God. Sometimes we don't have all the, question, all the information. And so I want you to know that God is a loving God. He proves it by sending his son. And his son has come for you, for me. So we can have true life and joy. May he be enough. Everything else means nothing. Nothing. Life is about Jesus. Period. Lord Jesus, we want more of you, O Lord. Help us, O Lord, see you and be fully sufficient and content and overjoyed in you and you only. Help us have hearts that only want you and accept things, whether good, bad, you add, you remove. May they not be what we look to. May we just look to you. You are our joy. We pray this in your precious name. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.